0: With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. On this week's show, we have strong words from Zach Brown. Is it mixed time to shine? Or is he going to be honey badgered? Gazley on his right move, not to the property website. Another race in Saudi, perhaps? And. You've heard Formation Labs, but what about Information Labs?
1: Hi, I'm Louise Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is John Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi,
2: I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm
1: Jordan King, and you're listening to Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Profi. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go.
0: Hello and welcome to News from the Nerds, my name is Sam and I'm your host today. I'm deputising for James McKenzie, who although you know, last week he said that he was uh, struggling with the sport a bit and uh, it sounded like he might not be back, it's not because of that. He's gone to see his parents uh, as a dutiful and good son. Uh, but joining me, we have Catherine, our Formula E editor. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing really good, thank you. Looking forward for finally another Grand Prix weekend because my weekend was too empty without F1.
0: Indeed, indeed. Yes, it is uh, just a few days from the US Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, But we're also joined by uh, the preacher man himself. James, how you doing?
1: Pretty good, and may I say, happy uh, is it happy belated birthday
0: for your birthday show? Yes, I mean, we won't go too into detail with the uh, with how we record this, but uh, it's it's roughly my birthday uh, around the time of recording. Um, Abby did did drop that into the show last week, uh, which I I feel was a P- GDPR issue, but never mind. We won't tell you where she's on holiday at the moment. Um, so yeah. Let's, uh, let's get into it. So, James, you've uh, actually got a special announcement for us uh, this week, so uh, take it away.
1: I do, and I get to do it whilst in a, an appropriate top as well, a uh, McLaren top. We have been very lucky, so thank you so much to McLaren and to Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo for doing this for us. We have been given a signed cap by both of them to give away to our wonderful, wonderful listeners. So to enter this competition, all you have to do is to listen to how many times we say the word McLaren on the show. And it counts from the very top of the show, from that first McLaren I said, and that one, and from everyone here on in. Count how many times we've done it, and send it to info at fulminanurse.com. And you need to have them in by Tuesday, the 25th of October, 2022. Please do enter, and hopefully you will get that lucky, lucky call out on the next show next week. In which case, write to us in 14 days, and we'll get it shipped over to you. So from one era of McLaren to another. So, Zach Brown has recently penned a letter to the FIA, stating very clearly that anybody who breaks the, the cost cap or breaches it, it should be constituted as cheating. Now, he sent that over to the FIA to uh, to the head of the FIA, Mohammed bin Sulayam, but also was copied in uh, Stefano Domenicali. And in his letter, he's made it very clear. He has said the overspend breach and possibly the procedural breaches constitute cheating by offering significant advantage across technical sporting and financial regulations he's asking for quite he's asking that we don't a financial penalty is not awarded he says we don't feel a financial penalty alone will be a suitable penalty for an overspend breach or a serious procedural breach there clearly needs to be a sporting penalty in these instances as determined by the fia what about you guys what do you think is that brown onto something or should we or should it just be left to the fia to do what they need to do it's a tricky one isn't it because he's absolutely right that the penalty
0: should be severe. Because I agree, it does constitute cheating. And as we said, as we've said in shows past, financial penalties are a bit, you know, a bit slap on the wristy. Um, for as in, not I don't call my wrist my wristy, uh, but like a slap on the wrist. Um, because for over for basically spending too much money to then sanction a team by finding them. Yeah, there's I was saying about, you know, a crime that's penalties are fine is only a crime for the poor. And I think that's a fair point when it comes to the team's in F1. Red Bull are an incredibly profitable and lucrative marketing machine. So it wouldn't be too much of a penalty for them in this case. So I think I think Brown's absolutely right on that. I'm not so wild about coming out him coming out and saying this and, and, and addressing the FIA, whilst they are deliberating and deciding internally what that punishment should be, it's a little bit like charging into a courtroom and being like, give him the death penalty. It just isn't how it it should work. So, yeah, that's, I think, a bit garish in that sense. But he's also come out and said that he thinks that they should have the amount that they overspent taken off the cap for future seasons. I think it should be more. I think it should be double or triple. I think, you really make the point. If you're going to spend two million extra this season, you're going to lose four or six the following.
2: I, I agree with what you just said, Sam. For these teams, it's giving them a fine. It is not a penalty. Because when you have someone who is rich, for them money can solve anything. So it would be sort of the same for Red Bull, in my opinion. And also, it just gives other teams, the idea is that, oh, okay, if we overspend in future seasons, the worst that we could get is a fine. And I think also what Zach Brown maybe might have had in his mind is that if his team had overspent, would, they, would the FIA treat McLaren the same as they would have treated Red Bull? Because we need to keep in mind that with Red Bull, it is such a special case because they are, They were. They had Max as a world champion and they already had a lot of controversy surrounding that. So then when this came up, it just created, it just made things even worse, especially for the FIA and F1 who had already sort of messed up in Abu Dhabi. And in regards of whether someone like Zack Brown should be going out at the FIA like this, I think, you know what? I respect what he did because... If I go out and say how things should be, the FIA will probably not listen to me. But the fact that when he sent that letter for me, he was representing not only his team, but he was also representing us F1 fans and also what many people are thinking.
1: But the other thing Zach Brown said, which I thought was quite interesting, he says the 5% rule, which effectively says a 5% is a minor, well, class is a minor breach. He wants that lower to 2.5%. And I've got to say, I, I agree with him on that. I think 5% is a huge amount of money. It's it's up to $7 million. There's nothing minor about $7 million. And I think even $2 million is, you know, that could buy a, a garage in London. I, I, I joke. But $2 pounds or $2 million, that's, that, that that can decide a championship. And I think the idea of lowering it further, I'm completely with Zach on that. And I'm, I I have to say, as, as boring as it sounds, I'm in total agreement with, with you guys as well. The, the other teams have also come out, in a, not less so than Zach has. Zach has formally written, as you say, representing the FIA. But the lower teams, and I will not class, class McLaren as a lower team, but I would say that they do represent the other teams because only Red Bull have been found guilty of a breach of the cost cap itself. Not procedural. You know, they haven't been late with their paperwork. They're the only team that has been found guilty of going over and overspending. So every other team is going to want their head. And we still don't know whether Red Bull will appeal or not. So I think I think what well, I, I agree I think what McLaren have, what what they've done what, what Zach Brown specifically has done is exactly the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's
0: fair to say that Zach Brown is on the right lines in terms of his how how he's viewing it. But I think his his method is maybe lobbying slightly, which is nothing new in Formula One. So yeah, well, we just have to wait and see. I'm sure lessons will be learned for future seasons because the cost cap shouldn't and isn't going anywhere. Catherine, over
2: to you. So, is it Schumacher's time to shine? Well, we'd hope so, because so far the German has no seat for 2023. Now, with, Alpha Taur- now with the Alpha Tauri seat and the Alpine seats getting filled, there aren't many contenders for the Haas one, or you would think so. So, Gunther Steiner said that it would be better to have someone that the team worked for for two years with than have someone new. So, in a sense... Mick Schumacher has the advantage in that aspect. However, there are still rivals for the Haas seat. So we have heard Steiner say that he had called Daniel Ricciardo during the Hungarian Grand Prix. And then there is Nico Hülkenberg who is being mentioned around the Haas seat. And Nico Hülkenberg, one way or another, he always has his name in the driver's letterboard with or without points every single season, although he said that he will retire, but okay. And then we have Antonio Giovinazzi who will be running during the first practice session in Cota this weekend. And now Pietro Fittipaldi has confirmed that he will be running during FP1 in Mexico. Now Fittipaldi has drove for Haas before Schumacher even did because in 2020 he drove the last two races for Haas to replace Roman Grosjean who had was recovering from the horrifying accident he had. And well, it always looked like Gunther Steiner would have the power in Schumacher's future. However, now the team owner, Gene Haas, he has said that Mick's future is going to be decided by Mick. So it is a bit complicated because I feel like we're getting two different stories from the team principal and the team owner. And we are aware that Schumacher has had a very better season when compared to his rookie one, but he has... He had many crashes that has caused us some really severe financial headaches. He had one in Saudi Arabia, one in Monaco, and one in Japan. And in those three times, the team had to change the chassis. And, uh, well, it was a real headache because of the cost cap which we just discussed. So what do you guys think? Do you think that Schumacher has the power to keep his Huss seat or do you think that Gunter Steiner will, you know, maybe even go with Fittipaldi, who has been around the Hasgarage for a while now?
1: He won't go with Fittipaldi. Simply put, because what Haas want is stability, but they also want experience. Fittipaldi is too much of, a, of an unproven risk. He's Yes, he's driven a race, but he is not what Haas want. That will be returning to the Mazepin and Schumacher year of 2021 when they were both rookies. To me, Hülkenberg makes more sense than Jovanazzi would. Um, I think Sam probably disagrees with me. Disagrees with me on that one, but to, but to me, Hulkenberg makes more sense because although Hulkenberg has uh, not had a full time race seat uh, for a few years, he, he does still have his speed when he when he turns up. Giovinazzi's career sort of just fizzled away a little bit, didn't it? And then he went to Formula E. He didn't have the greatest time in Formula E either. Mick, I I, I just don't see how Mick will continue. I really want Mick to continue. I really really do, but. As you say, he had all those crashes at the start of the season, uh, costing Haas dearly. I think he's probably in the lead now for the most damage done for the year. I'm not too sure. I, I think he's, he must be in the top two or three by now. So I, I think personally it's going to go to Nico Hulkenberg, will be my bet, is who will get that race for next year.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, James. I'm, and it, it's not the Hulkenberg point that I'm, I'm not with you on. It's the Fitzpatrick point I'm not with you on. Because they still have Magnussen alongside him. They still have that experience. And I've been saying for weeks now, that I think they need to to blend youth and experience. You've got Magnussen already for next season. Whether or not he's better than Hulkenberg is a is a debate in itself. I think people have used um, Julian Palmer as a reference point from their time when they crossed over teammates with him at Renault. And Hulkenberg did fare better against uh, Palmer as a kind of you know, a, a benchmark. I personally would take Magnussen I just yeah, just prefer him as a as a driver and as a racer. I think he is more in his arsenal. But Fittipaldi, I think it, it, he could give you that. The bit that I find really interesting in this whole wider debate on the Haas second seat is Ricardo has has come out and said that he it's what he needs to have a year off. And at first, I was like, oh, you can't do that. You know, you, you need to be in a race seat. But I do I do get it from his perspective because. His stock has taken a hit from his time at McLaren, undoubtedly. But there's many people in the paddock, you know, experts, people who work in in F1, fans as well, who are saying he is just as good as he was when he was at Renault, now Arpene, and he just needs to refine that form. But if he takes a seat at Haas with the hope of moving up the grid in 2024, what if Magnussen beats him? What if it's another team where he underperforms? It's, it is almost a risk in that sense for him to be in that car.
2: I think that these past few years since he left Red Bull, it, I think they affected him mentally so much. This, I, I just you, He looks like he's tired sometimes, I get the feeling from him. It's like, you know what, I need a break. I need, it's like he needs a year break and then he'll come back in 2024 and hopefully he'll be better.
0: Moving on, up the grid to another driver who There's is now fixed their, uh, their situation for next year. Catherine, do you want to delve into this one as well?
2: Yeah, so finally, Gasly, well, we have heard he finally joined Alpine after so much time and he said that it is the right time to leave Red Bull. He has been with Red Bull for nine years and he explained how his move to Alpine, it has come so natural and it felt like it was the right decision to take for him. What Pierre really liked about Alpine is that they really fought for him. So we need to remember that Pierre was already signed with Alpha Tower for 2023 when Alpine wanted him. So obviously there was probably a bit of complications following the piasco. And uh, well, they did get it right. And Pierre really appreciated that. And he signed for Alpine. Of course, we need to understand that Pierre, he wanted to be really careful with where he goes next because he was already in a high seat. He was in the Red Bull seat alongside Max Verstappen. And, and we all know how he got demoted in 2019. And we could see that he really struggled with that. But thankfully, he managed to recover himself with Alpha Tauri. He got that podium in Brazil. And then he also went on to win in 2020 in Monza. So... Do you think that's like, now he can start his full journey? Because what I got from what happened with him at Red Bull is that maybe he felt, I don't know what it could have been. Maybe he felt intimidated by by Verstappen or maybe he felt, I don't know, maybe he wasn't good enough. Because what we saw at Red Bull, and what we saw at AlfaTauri, Tauri, in my opinion, were two different Pierre Gaslys.
1: I'm going to completely agree with you on that. And I'm also going to tell you a little story, if I may, personally. Because Pierre Ga- there are two drivers I have a sauceball sos- sos- for on the grid. One is Lando Norris. The second is Pierre Gasly. And with Gasly, it's because at Red Bull, he had the year from hell in 2019. It was awful. And he also had to watch his his friend get killed at spa, which he still annually will go to the corner and and make sure he lays flowers down. And then at the end of the year, it started to turn and he started to have, he had that podium beating Lewis Hamilton right at the last gasp for P3. And then he won in Monza in 2020. And that for me is when he changed because he sat on that podium, drinking in the emotion, drinking in everything that just happened to him. And it's something which, unless you've gone through it yourself, you don't know this. And it's when you've been down, very, very down, and you've had everything go wrong. Nothing has gone right for you for months, if not at least a year. And things start to turn around. And, you're, and, and there's this, this moment that comes to you of complete clarity where you go, I've just beaten you. And that is exactly what happened to him in 2020 on, on, this, on the podium in uh, in Monza. And since then, as you say, Catherine, he has been a completely different driver. Now Red Bull have not wanted him back. We don't understand why. It could be so. It could be his worker ethic. It could have been how he interacted with the team. Because as you say, he's a very different individual. Now I don't think the Pierre Gasly now in 2022, if you took him back to Red Bull, would be the same person in terms of how he interacts with the team, how he interacts with Max, his thoughts on Max, his thoughts on the car, his thoughts on engineers. Because I thought he was terrified even to get on the en- on the radio to his team in 20 20- in, in 2019. So now he's going over to Alpine, it's his jump. It's what he's been waiting for because he's been it's like he's been penned in and he's not been able to to express his full potential and move on to the next chapter that he needs and he needs to have next to him next for him even. So I think yes he will. And I think the PR speak from out from, from him saying they've tried to fought, fight for me etc. you could argue is that it's PR talk, but I do think with Gassi there's an element of truth in there.
0: Let's be to the point here. Gasly's saying it was the right time to leave. It was the right time to leave a long time ago. So therefore, by extension, it's always the right time for him to leave that system. He clearly wasn't the type of character the Red Bull want in their their senior team. It's a very difficult environment to be in, especially as a second driver. And it's not for everyone. People need different environments to flourish and it just wasn't, it wasn't the place for, for Gasly. With regards to moving to Alpine. I think it I totally buy that, the, I don't think it's a PR thing. I, th- I think he does feel wanted. I think he, and he needs that because Red Bull, yes, he was still at Towery, but they have essentially said to him, as of 2019, we don't really want you, but you're good enough for us to keep around just in case we absolutely need to kind of, but yeah, we made it perfectly clear. You're never getting the Red Bull seat on merit and if you were to it'd just be because we have no one else to turn to at that stage you're the the best kind of last option for us so yeah I think it absolutely is is the right thing to do uh, for him I think he he will again I think his career will will kind of start now in a weird way yes he's had great successes and triumphs his year in 2020 you know aside aside from the win actually his year in 2020 he was mega he was super he was he's performing at such a high level. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm looking f- forward to, to having a benchmark, a kind of representative benchmark for Ocon because he's, he's always raced against drivers that are a lot more experienced, have you know achieved great things in the sport. But Gasly, I think Gasly and Ocon are, uh, are a good, good match in that sense.
2: And I think with what you guys said, how the time to leave was long ago. I just think about it and imagine if he if he hadn't left, if Red Bull didn't kick him out, like where would he be? Because realistically, I don't think that he would still have the chance to win the championship as much as Max, just like Daniel didn't really have it when Max went in eventually because the focus was fully put on Max. So yeah, I think it was even a good move for Red Bull because it's just, I feel that for them to actually go on and win championships they need a driver that he is just happy getting that occasional win that occasional podium but his overall mission would be to help out Max
1: and that's what Christian Horney used to say in interviews wasn't it we need Gasly to be we need Pierre to be closer to Max to give to to be that second car so we can help him it was never about his development it was more as you say to assist Max and that's something which is it's, it's Red Bull's mode of operation but for but as you say as you say Sam it's not for everyone that type of environment and I think it 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 grated him as it grated Alex Albon
0: it's particularly difficult for a young driver as well because you don't want to just be penned into being a a second driver from the outset of your Formula 1 career so yeah it it makes sense for him and as I said thoroughly looking forward to seeing what he can do next year we're back onto the calendar as always and this isn't a kind of immediate subject but the Saudi Arabian sports minister has come out this week and said that they would be open to hosting a second Grand Prix in in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. He said, we really see the benefits of having these events for the Kingdom and that's why we're investing so much. Uh, so yeah, obviously they've got the race in Jeddah at the moment. There is a purpose-built um, facility, I believe, that they're planning in. Kwidia? Uh, I think I'm getting the pronunciation of that right. But I think that the, there is keen interest within Saudi Arabia to to keep the Jeddah track which is quickly becoming quite popular as a circuit um surrounding kind of environment obviously this year being a very difficult environment for the drivers to be in aside it's quick it's challenging it's got you know it's got lots of different aspects to it so guys do you think this is good good for the sport what, what are your thoughts here
2: I'm not going to lie when i saw Saudi Arabia first I didn't quite like it. I just thought that it was a bit too dangerous. And the fact that the drivers are already in those cars is dangerous enough. And I thought it was just me. But I spoke with many people about it. And many people agreed with me. So I wouldn't say that it's my favorite track. It's quick and it's fast and it can make for a lot of good stories. But I'm afraid that eventually it will make for a tragic story. And I do not want to see that.
1: Uh, I'm second with you, Catherine. Completely. Um, I once some I, I can't remember who it was who once told me this, but they said it was Monaco on steroids uh, when describing Saudi Arabia and uh, the Jeddah track, and that's what and that's what it is. And it's a fast street track, hadn't been invented before, in my view, for good reason. It's not my favourite circuit either. I thought, and then I think the the circumstances surrounding the race this year were so challenging, so difficult for the drivers as well. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna forget the footage of the drivers being still in rooms at what was it 12 one o'clock in the morning having to be reassured by the local authorities everything was okay that's not the fault of the track of course i'm not sure a second what a second race for saudi arabia would do i don't know what they would take off to promote that race but uh i think i think at the moment let's see what the new purpose-built facility uh which was so expertly pronounced by sam i'm not going to try and pronounce it myself uh was done at (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, we we don't know that. <laughs> I know. I know I'm, that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try and pronounce it myself. Um, but I think let's see how that track goes, and then we'll see what happens. I I think they move. I think they should move away from Jeddah because, as you say, Catherine, I think we're heading for a tragic accident. Schumacher's accident there the spectac- it was spectacular and it was horrifying. And if we have another one with another rookie doing that, as you say, them it might be a lot more serious. And I think we all want to avoid that.
0: Well, you, you you've hit the nail on the head there, James. In terms of what, what gives to enable a second race in Saudi Arabia. And on that, Stefano Dominicali has come out and said that essentially they're working to a 24 race limit. And that is main Sunday Grand Prix races. And um, to kind of get around that, obviously next season, we technically have 30 races because we have six sprints. So it's an interesting one because when people started, when everyone was saying, oh, 30 races, you know, everyone, rightly was not best pleats because 30 races in a 52-week calendar is nuts. 24 is nuts, let's face it. So getting around that by having sprint races, they're not everyone's cup of tea. But Gunter Steiner has come out and said that more sprint races is a far better alternative than adding new Grand Prix to the calendar. Because he kind of said from an operational point of view, you're already there. Yes, there's maybe extra costs and stuff, but you can factor that into the cost cap and various other things. But you're already there. It's a better alternative than 25, 26, so on and so forth. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined, inclined to agree agree with him here. You know, it, it makes sense. I mean, I personally don't like sprint races. I think you should just, you know, have 24 races and call
1: it a day. But he's right. And you've hit the nail on the head as well, Sam. It is completely 100% correct. Uh, if you're already at the races, it's. Well, I'm not a fan of sprint races either. But if we're going to have more races, I would far more we had a sprint race that has a chance of spicing up the grid than going to, to put it very bluntly, more destinations that don't have the fan base, that don't have the necessary infrastructure to support a Grand Prix weekend. And it has to be built from the ground up and we have one or two ropey first couple of races before they start to come more established later on. In my view, I think a sp- a sprint, a sp- further sprint races will help the championship if they're also uh, with the points awarded properly as well. Because that's something F1 needs to work on. If you're going to add more sprint races, you need to look at the the point system for them and how it interacts with the, with, the, with, the, with the regular championship.
2: In my opinion, well, firstly, I wouldn't even agree with the 24 race calendar. And I just do not agree with the sprint races at all. It's just, they can tell me, Whatever they want, and they can be like, oh, we're doing it for the new fans. We're doing it for the younger ones. I am young. I do not like the sprint races.
0: <laughs> but in terms of how the weekend works, staying on that but transitioning slightly to how to get the most out of difficult situations or difficult conditions. Obviously we saw the the nasty side of wet weather again at the Japanese Grand Prix, which we have done a few times in the last couple of years in terms of delayed starts and reduced running and, you know, tricky circumstances for the FIA to decide when to start a race, when to red flag it. And coming out of that, the chairman of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, Alex verts who was a Grand Prix driver himself for, for a few years for Benetton, McLaren and later Williams, said he's actually thought of an idea or information lapse, as, as he calls them. So, we, you know, yeah. I like the play on on formation lap there. I think it's quite clever. Um, but essentially, he was saying that he was watching the Japanese Grand Prix and Lewis came on the team radio and said something to the uh, effect of, I can tell you in a minute what the conditions are like by driving, but I can't tell you from the TV. And Lance words was saying that he kind of thought, you know what, he's, he's absolutely right. And so he's now come out and said in comments to motorsport.com that the race director should have the option for what I call information laps. So he could say, if the team's agreed to this procedure, that in 10 minutes' time, we will send the cars around, it's like going to the grid lap. So, I th- again, I think Alex he has he's been a brilliant servant to the sport, he's, he's brilliant in his role, and I think, again, he has totally captured the issue... And where the sport needs to take it. Because these reconnaissance laps that you often do, or installation laps, before a Grand Prix, you could do something similar, just to check the environment and see see where things are, are headed weather-wise. Is surely better than what we have now, right?
2: Well, yeah, it is a good idea, to be fair, especially, you know, even for them to be like, for them to... For example, start the race behind the safety car and then just having to go back into the pit. It's just, and it also gives that sort of uncertainty. So at least if the drivers can go out there and give them the information immediately before the race even starts, they might even have the option of, you know, scrapping the bit where if we finish that amount of the race, we give that amount of points and stuff like that, you know, and just hopefully we would avoid the confusion of how many points will be given and whether a driver is world champion or not. Too. So yeah, I do agree with him. And it could be maybe a good thing that maybe the FIA might decide they want to test out before they actually implement.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, an idea that came into my head before it very quickly disappeared again, because i realized it was a bit rubbish, was you could have one you could have one or two cars do it rather than the whole field. Uh, it would need to be someone who was picked, uh, who would either be comfortable in the, in the weather conditions or not, etc. So rather than sending all the cars out, you just sent one or two and see if, and see what the feedback is from the drivers at that point. It would, they would need to be someone like George Russell or someone from the GPTA who was relatively high up, but it's a way of sort of cutting costs again. But I think it, I think that might go well down like a lead balloon. Uh, but as a, in terms of stopping the, the the scenes that we've seen in Belgium, the scenes we've seen in Japan, I think it is definitely something that, that could be considered. As you say, Alex Wurz is a really, really uh, relevant uh, and just knows the sport inside out as as an, as an ex-driver and has been victim to some of these conditions. So yeah, hopefully the FIA will take his his his, uh, his comments under advisement.
0: Absolutely. And that's pretty much all we have time for today. And uh, it's a nice place to leave it. So thank you very much, James, for joining us. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And Catherine.
2: Thank you. It's never a chore.
0: Thank you for joining us. And thank you for counting how many times we've uh, said a certain team's name this week. We'll see you next time.
1: You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. We go.